1998, the University of South Carolina Gamecocks. Everybody say, woo! I said, everybody say, woo, not boo. What's your problem? It's like this is Tar Heel Nation or something. I don't understand. In 1998, the University of South Carolina football team went 1-10. and A memorable year for them, I'm sure. They were coached by Brad Scott, and he was no longer the coach after that year. They released him, and they brought in Lou Holtz. Anybody heard of Lou Holtz? Yeah. Doesn't he look like an elf? I don't know one. Anyway, they brought in Lou Holtz, and um, he had this incredible reputation of coming to, to losing programs and turning them around. And So they went 1-10. They bring in Lou Holtz, and the next year, 1999, they went 0-11. Like when you're sitting around at 1 and 10, you're thinking things can't possibly get worse, but then when you go 0 and 11, people start scratching their heads. They start wondering if um, possibly Lou Holtz has lost his touch. But in 2000, they went 8 and 4. They went to the Outback Bowl and they demolished Big Ten powerhouse Ohio State 24 to 7. I know these facts because I am actually a Gamecock fan. I married into the family and my wife did what women do and won me over, and now I cheer for the Gamecocks. They, they completed what went down as the second greatest turnaround in the history. Everybody say history. That's a long time. The second greatest turnaround in the history of college football when they went from 0-11 to 8-4. And so, of course, everybody's calling Lou Holtz. They want to find out what his secret is because they'd like to turn around their programs too. And they did an interview, and they asked him this question. What was the one thing? What was the key? What did you do on the football field? What did you do in practice? How did you get your team to go from no wins to eight wins and actually nine with the bowl game? And he said the key was stories. And everybody went, huh? He said, I realized that our team... We'll talk some more about this next week. I realized that our team didn't really trust each other. And I knew the best thing we could do was to learn each other's stories. And so every day in the cafeteria during mealtime, he would just turn to one of the players and say, go ahead and stand up. You don't have to really stand up. Go ahead and stand up. Tell everybody your story. And he said as practice went on, as the weeks went on, as more players stood up to tell their stories, trust began to build in the place. They started to have each other's back. They went out on the field, and they were a family. They were a unit, and they went from 0-11 to 8-4. They completed the second greatest turnaround in college football history. This morning, we're talking about why we value stories. If you're one of the lucky ones that got one of those sheets, because they're gone by now, and you've got them, here's what you can fill in at the top. Here's our value. The last value in, in what we consider undeniable. We value stories and what they can do when we tell them. We value your story and expect the telling of it to give grace to others and glory to God. Now, you're not going to have to hear me long this morning. Everybody say amen. Well, that was nice of you to be quiet there. That was so, so nice of you. You're going to hear some stories from some people that you know. I just want to set it up. I want to teach you three points about stories, okay? Real quick. This won't take long at all. Number one, your story is personal. All stories are good, but the best story is the one that you can tell about what Jesus has done for you. John chapter 9 talks about a story who was born blind, and he was healed by Jesus. Mayhem ensues, 
Not the Allstate guy, but close. Because Jesus broke out, quite, he broke a lot of religious rules. He um, like made some mud with his finger, put it on the guy's eyes, and all this on the Sabbath. So these religious leaders, they really freaked out. And so they launched this whole investigation into how it happened, whose fault it was, was it your parents? They brought in the guy's parents to see if he actually was born blind. But the bottom line is, John chapter 9, verse 24, the Pharisees asked the man if Jesus was a sinner. Basically, this guy gets called center stage to share what he saw in Jesus. And here's what he says, John chapter 9, verse 25. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Years ago, I've, I've told this a, a number of times, years ago, Oprah Winfrey was interviewing Michael Jackson. He was turning 30 years old. And she asked the one question that I remember an investigator, a reporter, asking somebody else. It's a great question. She turned to him and she said, Michael, you're 30 years old. What do you know for sure? It's a good question. I could ask any one of us in here. You're so many years old. What do you know for sure? If we could ask this man who was born blind, so what do you know for sure? He'd say, well, I don't know if Jesus is a sinner or not. How many of you get asked questions by people about faith and you just like, your whole mind goes blank? I mean, they can ask the simplest question, like, what does Genesis 1-1 say? And you're like, you know it says in the beginning God. And you're just like, um, something. I don't know. Just whole mind goes to mush. Man, I've been asked questions about Jesus and I don't know the answer. But he says, one thing I do know, I was blind, but I'm looking at you right now. I can see. Your testimony, your story is personal. The man's answer was short. It was pointed. He did not get caught up in confusion. He didn't try to answer questions that he couldn't. He simply said what happened to him. Your story is personal. Number two, your story is powerful. Revelation 12, 11 says that your story actually helps us overcome our enemy. Anybody play sports here? Okay. Wow. Like four. Awesome. Hi, I'm Paul, the pastor of a wimpy church. <laughs> um, <clears throat> when you play sports, you practice, you run over plays, but you're always kind of guessing what the other team's going to do, correct? Boy, if you knew what they were going to do, you could beat them every single time. This is one of those verses where Satan, because everybody knows Satan's stupid. Everybody say Satan's stupid. Didn't that feel good? Yeah, I've always wanted to start a website called satanisstupid.com. I just think that would be awesome. Maybe one of you could do it. It's probably out there somewhere. He's stupid here, because here we get a little peek at his playbook. He does one thing. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come to the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God. And the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. So we know one thing about Satan. He has one tactic. It is to accuse you. Apparently it's his full-time job because it says that he does it day and night. We should not be surprised, should we, when we feel like we don't measure up. We should not be surprised when we hear little voices in our heads saying, you're going to do what for Jesus? Don't you know what you've done before? Because that's his job. It's all he does. 
He accuses day and night. And according to verse 11, there's only two things that are necessary to overcome that. One is Jesus. What does it say in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11? They overcame him by one, the blood of the Lamb. And that's already been done, right? Right? Jesus has already been, he's already died on the cross for our sins. But what's the second component? By the word of their testimony. And that part has not necessarily been done. Because that's kind of dependent on you. Let's get real practical. Opening your mouth and talking, right? I mean, you can try to do a testimony without talking. It'll go like this. People won't quite get that. I don't think. I mean, they'll get something. This dude is freaking. They'll be grabbing their friends and running. You'll be running after them going. <laughs> you just got to open your mouth. You've got to say what Jesus has done for you. It probably helps if he has done something for you, correct? Your story is powerful. It helps us overcome the enemy. It also helps us overcome our critics. Acts chapter 4. Um, how many of you remember the story in Acts chapter 3 where um, Peter's walking into the temple and he sees the guy laying there and the guy's like, hey, give me some money. And Peter says, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I'll give you. And he reaches down, grabs him and says, just rise up and walk. Well, he gets healed. And then in Acts chapter 4, that guy's getting interviewed. Again, this is what happens all the time in the Bible. You'll see where Jesus heals somebody or somebody that walked with Jesus is healing people. And the people that go to church and are religious get all mad about that. They, they start interviewing people. <clears throat> Sorry, they start interviewing people all the time, trying to find out how exactly did this happen. And so here we are in Acts chapter 4. This guy's getting interviewed about how he got healed by Peter. Acts chapter 4, verse 14. Here's what he says. Or here's what they said. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. I don't know about you, but people that are really critical, do you know how have people like that in your life? Really, really critical. I mean, you can't do anything right. Don't you just love to turn to them and just go, shut up. When they don't have anything to say, I mean, we can get really personal right now about how your house is, because maybe you got people in your house that are like that. We have words for them. There are three letters and start with N and end with G, with an A in the middle. I'm just saying. You just hear it all the time. People like that, you're married to somebody like that, you got a friend like that, you like to take, you like to take vacations from people like that, don't you? Hey, um, we're going to go on a family vacation, but you're going to stay home. Because I need a vacation from you. That's what these people were like. They were critics. Like, this guy was a crippled, and now he's up running around. He's totally healed, and the critics came out and start ripping apart what just happened. And I don't know how you are, but if I'm in that situation, I just want to shut them up. And verse 14 says that they did. Why? Because the story is powerful. It actually requires that God has done something in your life, but when Jesus does something in your life and you actually open your mouth and share it and people see it, 
because it's so undeniably the message of Jesus, they can't say anything about it. You actually have the power through your story to shut people up. And I love that. So your story is personal. Your story is powerful. And the last point, this is the most important one of all, is that your story is profound. And I really need to understand what, explain what I mean by that. The first two points are kind of visible. Like you, we can see those, right? This last one is something that you cannot see. The word profound means this. Extending far below the surface. I want to read to you Isaiah chapter 6. And then we're going to have uh, three people come and share stories with you this morning about what God's doing in their lives. And again, we, we expect that when we share stories that God will receive glory and you will receive grace. So in a minute when they come and they start to share what God's doing in their life, you're going to find yourself going, I like this. This is good. And it's not just because they're better than I am at speaking, but they probably are. But there's something about testimonies that just, they just get in here and you start going, God, that is good. And God's up in heaven going, that is good. And you're getting grace and he's getting glory and something happens in an unseen realm that we don't know anything about until right now, because I'm going to show you what I learned this week. This is amazing stuff to me. Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. A lot of you have heard this passage, and we're going to read it, and I'm going to tell you what it means. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. Freaky! With two wings, they covered their faces, two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, verse 4, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the stairs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the grill on the back deck, I mean the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Here's the vision that Isaiah has. He sees the Lord exalted, verse 1. He sees angelic beings, verse 2. He hears praise and experiences the shaking of the posts and thresholds, verses 3 and 4. He sees smoke filling the temple, verse 4. He falls on his face aware of his sin and is cleansed by a coal from the altar. Verse 5 through 7. And here's the part that I want you to get. You ready? Take a deep breath. I need you focused right here. The end result was Isaiah's guilt being taken away. Our whole purpose as a church is to see the guilt of people's sins taken away. Do you understand that? We live near God in order to be sent to those far from him. That's the whole reason we exist. I mean, you guys sounded so good when you sang this morning, and worship's a phenomenal thing. But we exist to see people's guilt taken away. And so Isaiah experiences what we want to see happen, and he's sent out in service. But the question is, what opened the door 
for an outpouring of God's power so mighty that it revealed God's holiness and Isaiah's need of God. And here it is. It was the story of those angelic beings. You've probably read this a gazillion times like I have, and you've probably never seen it. I've heard this preached so many times, and here's what I've always heard in my head. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he heard the angelic beings saying to Jesus, saying to the Lord, holy, 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 but that's not what the Bible says. It says in verse 3, and they were calling to who? To one another. They're not even talking to God. They're just giving story, testimony. They're talking back and forth to one another saying, He's holy. He's holy. He's high and lifted up. He did this for me. And he did this for me. And he did this for me. And that is what caused the entire place to start shaking. That's what caused it to fill with smoke. That is what caused Isaiah to see God like he really was. And he fell on his face and said, I am unclean. Your worship is amazing. But your story is profound. When you share your testimony with people, something happens in a place that we cannot see. And people become aware of who God is. It all starts with the story about Jesus. As the people, Jan and Jay and Randy, y'all can come on and make your way up here. As they come, let me just give you one word of warning about stories. There's only one way that your story can lose its power. And it's when you, your story becomes about you. And it doesn't sound weird, doesn't it? It's like, it's my story. But it can't be about me. Your story is not your story. It's your story to tell about Jesus. Hebrews 12.2 says that he is the author and the finisher of your faith. He's the one writing our story. Philippians 1.6 says that he will finish writing the book. I don't know if you're an author. Lots of times people start writing books and they never finish them. But God says he finishes the one that he starts to write in Philippians 1.6. He is the author and the finisher of these stories. And when we tell them something happens that we can't see, I believe this. This morning, as Jan shares, as Jay shares, as Randy shares, when I come back up and share to close it out, something's going to start to happen in this place. Something's going to start to change in the atmosphere of this place. And there's going to be power that you never knew existed. Because you're going to relate to somebody's story. And inside you, you're going to start to go, oh God, could you do that for me? And he can. And he can. Come on, Jan. When Paul and I were first talking about me getting up and sharing, I said, I don't know if I really want to do that because the last two times I did that, something was kind of bad afterwards. The first time was January 8th when I got up and was talking about tithing and how God had finally convicted me, and the next day I lost my job. And then the next weekend, I think I got up and said something the next couple weeks, and then the next weekend my car got broken into. 
And so I thought, oh, Lord, I don't know if you really want me to share. <laughs> because I'm like, I don't know how much more I can take. But I really thought about it, and I thought, you know, that's the enemy speaking. That's the enemy getting a hold of me. And as you, most of you know, I lost my job with hospice on January 9th of this year. And never, ever would have thought at 55 I'd ever be on the job hunt looking for a job without a job. But I am. And in all the times I first prayed, I think I shared with this, that God kept telling me, you know, you need to humble yourself. You need to forgive. And so I've tried to really listen to him as to where I need to do that. And one of the things that's really been revealed to me in the last, tomorrow will be eight weeks that I have not been working. I've had no paycheck since January 9th. My unemployment has been blocked and denied. So for a person that lived, learned how to, has never lived on a budget, has always lived paycheck to paycheck because I've just gone out and spent money because I always knew I'd have a job. For the last eight weeks, I've had no income. But God has provided every step of the way. And I can honestly tell you, I've not received any money from anyone to pay a bill. God has provided every step of the way. Every Monday, what I started doing is, because I never balanced my checkbook, never had to, never really thought about it, but I had to, every Monday, my routine is I get up and I call the bank. I don't do anything on the computer because I'm computer illiterate. But I call to see what my balance is, what's cleared, what check is still out. So I kind of know that Monday how much money I've got for the week. And in st when I started doing this, I realized I had $500 more in the bank than I knew about. And I thought, because I never balanced my checkbook, I thought, that can't be right. So I waited for things to clear, and sure enough, a little over $500 was in my checkbook, or checking account I didn't know about. That was number one. Number two, last week, um, well, right at the day after I was let go, I started to panic and went and sold some jewelry I never uh, wore so that I would have money in hand to pay some bills. And that money I put to the side. Uh, well, a couple weeks ago, I had two bills due and not enough money in my checking account to pay for it. So I knew I was going to have to take out some of that cash and put it in the bank to pay those bills. So that Monday, it was the 19th, 20th, that whatever that Monday was, February, um, two weeks ago. And I start, no, it was last, last Friday or last Monday, excuse me, and I started my routine listening and checking off what I had spent and what was cleared, what was not. And the very last message from the bank was there was a, uh, a direct deposit of $2,278. And I'm like, what? I haven't had a paycheck. How can that be? My unemployment is blocked. I have an appeals hearing on Wednesday. I'm like, that can't be right. Listen to it again, $2,278. I'm thinking, well, i got to call the bank because they have deposited somebody's money into my account because it ain't my money. And as I hung up the phone, I sat there, and a voice came to my head, 
what was the money that I was getting back on my federal tax return? It was $2,278. I had just filed my taxes four days before that. Who in the world gets their federal tax refund in, in four days? In four days. So needless to say, I had the money to pay that bill, the second bill I have, and I've got that money to pay my other bills. And I sat there and I really thought about it and I said, God, you know, and somebody had called me and uh, Linda called me and, and I shared it with her and then my family called and I shared it with them. I called Paul and was sharing it with him. I was just so excited because that had to be God. It could not be anything other. I know Uncle Sam was not parting with his money just because it was me down here in Albemarle that needed a paycheck. You know, that was God. And one of the things my cousin said to me, he said, you know, Jan, I just really feel like God has held your unemployment so that you can learn that all you need to do is trust in him. And I truly believe that because I look at how myself has changed in the last eight weeks. And I couldn't have done that on my own. But all I know is that everything I have asked God to do, he's done in the last eight weeks. I shared with Paul this morning, Friday, or yes, uh, Friday or Saturday, um, I think it was Friday, my state tax refund check came. And that was in less than 10 days. I've never received my state return in less than three months. But it came in less than 10 days, and it's exactly the amount that will pay my house payment next month. So again, God has provided. I've had a lot of self-doubt. I've had a lot of, um, you know, I, I know this here, but it's getting it here that we have trouble with. My heart knows God's going to take care of me, but sometimes I really have difficulty getting it here. I've been interviewing for positions, and there's positions I think, gosh, that's exactly what I want to do. But I keep praying, Lord, please don't let anybody offer me anything if that's near, not where you want me. I don't want to be where I think I want to be. I want to be where God wants me. Because I don't want to just be better at what I'm doing, just like Paul preached on a while back. I want to matter. I really want to matter. And I truly believe that God has used this time to really shape me into what I need to be so that I can matter. One of the real good friend of mine, I just want to share with you this real quick. Like I say, I've really had a hard time. Um, with my own, in my own mind, and I know the enemy has been really um, working on me that I'm not worthy, I'm, I'm not going to find anything, I'm going to be unemployed forever. I mean, that keeps going through my mind. And Wednesday and Thursday, I didn't, get the ha didn't leave the house, didn't get dressed. I don't think I brushed my teeth. I was wallowing in that pity so much. And one of the real good friend of mine gave me this book yesterday and this is what I read this morning in my devotional I am leading you step by step through your life hold my hand in trusting dependence letting me guide you through this day your future looks uncertain and feels flimsy even precarious that is how it should be 
Secret things belong to the Lord, and future things are secret things. When you try to figure out the future, you are grasping at things that are mine. This is this, like all forms of worry, is an act of rebellion, doubting my promises to care for you. Whenever you find yourself worrying about the future, repent and return to me. I will show you the next step forward, and the one after that, and the one after that. Relax and enjoy the journey in my presence, trusting me to open up the way before you as you go. And that's for me. And that's for you all that are struggling with the same thing. Your, your story may, may not be exactly like mine, that, but everyone has a story, and that's what I've learned. We all have something, and we all have a time when God makes us stand up and take notice, or he knocks us down like he did me, that we have to rely on him. With that money that I received, the human part of me the old Jan would say, well, I ain't giving any of that up because I'm going to need it to pay a bill. I don't have a job. I don't have an income. It's staying with me. But the new Jan, the very first thing I said to myself when I realized that money was there is, God, this is your money, and I'm giving it back to you. Because if I don't, I'm not honoring everything that you have done and are doing in me. But that's real hard for this person that doesn't have an income, that doesn't know what's going to happen next week, to do. But I'm trusting in God. I'm trusting that he's going to take care of it all. I know he will be. So it's with a very, very thankful, trusting, humble heart that I give God his money. And whatever he has for me, I want to be ready. And I know he's got something good. Because I know he's not putting me through these steps without coming on the other side to say, look what God did for me. Thank you all. old and have bad hips and bad knees and but uh, we're gonna work on that this week Just show a little bit. my name is Jay Phillips my name is Jay Phillips my name is Right. Forget it. But that's the old Jay Phillips. That's the one who rode around with me for 40 years. I wanted you to know Jay Phillips. But now I want you to know Jesus. And not just know about him. I want you to know him. And that's my story. And it begins like this. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, 
and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And I also heard a voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I finally said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell his people. And I went, What? Did I really just say, I'll go? I can't even begin to tell you what a significant, incredible change took place just by saying, even though I don't even know if I really, really meant it, but the Bible said it, so I said, okay, I'm going to say it. Here am I. Send me. I've literally got hours of stories. I got five minutes. Because we got a story of power coming right after this. But I want to share just one little story uh, real quickly to let you know that, yeah, it's about the profound. And you know what's profound? Is the everyday decisions of our lives. It has consequences. It has incredible uh, capabilities to change your life and to change the life of others. I lost my job two years ago. It was crazy. Got up every morning, took a shower, shaved, and came to a little coffee shop in downtown Albemarle. And I sat right back there on that back chair about every morning. And I sat there, and then I'd get to meet some people and get to talk to some people. And there's this lady behind the counter, and she's a look, she's not grouchy, but she's just so busy, she didn't really have time to connect with me. And she really didn't like me, and tell you the truth, the old Jay that was always wanting you to know his name, he didn't really like her either. She worked at the Rosebriar as a waitress. And when I walked in, she didn't like me and I didn't like her and I didn't go sit at her tables. So when I sat right there, I'm thinking, she probably never going to speak to me because she don't like me and she don't know me now. And about two weeks went by. And she just looked at me and one day she came around the counter. Oh, excuse me, I forgot to tell you the most important part. I'm in my chair, I'm reading, and I'm saying, Lord, please use me somewhere. Please, here I am, send me. I'm praying it, really. I don't know if I'm meaning it, but I'm praying it. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, this woman comes around, and she stands in front of me over there, and tears are in her eyes, and she says, Jay, I'm exhausted. She's getting up every day, opening the doors of this place to get folks off the street, to give them a few hours when it's cold for the sun to come up. And she said, Jay, I'm worn out. Can you open the doors at 6.30 on Sunday morning and let me sleep? And I'm going, 
Sunday morning, 6.30. That means I got to get up at 5.30 and go, Lord, is there something else? You, another place you can use me today, Lord. And I hold out my hand and she drops that key in there. She turns around, she takes two steps and she says, oh, and by the way, you're going to start a Bible study. What? What? It's been two years now. And I've met the most amazing people. And we have come in here at 6.30, quarter seven in the morning. We have worshipped God in spirit and in truth through his word. We have just read it word for word. And it has changed us. It's changed us. Little things. But we don't know how profound they are right now. Well, we do know how profound they are. And we're getting ready to hear about it. Jesus. Jesus. Randy Taylor, and I'm one of them people that first came into this coffee shop at 6.30 in the morning coming from the homeless shelter, and uh, the past six months of my life, and it, the, the changes, hold on, <laughs> only because they got to hear this, <laughs> this is a great story, yeah, I, this, yeah, I'm just, I don't want to screw it up for God, I just want to make sure it's not about Randy, no, no, I mean, hold on, hold on, it's hold on. just so you know. okay, we all agree that God can hear what he's going to say, right? Yeah, but they want to hear it, so you'll have to hold us up there. Yeah, there thank you. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Uh, I've had a lot of changes in my life as well, six months. I'm a, um, I, I just, I want to don't get so graphic. I'm trying to make sure I keep this uh, simple. But I, I, I guess as a youth, you know, I, I, uh, a lot of things happened as a youth that carried over to as an adult. So there, there was a lot of abuse and neglect and uh, no trust, no discipline, Resentment, anger, and then a lot of pride. And that took me to a point of destruction where I was spiritually bankrupt. No job, no home. in the homeless shelter, which is a wonderful place. And in that shelter, I had a dream one night. And God came to me in the dream. And uh, I'm not going to get into the graphics of it, but I would, I'll never forget these three words. It was, enough, it's over. I haven't used since. 
I haven't. I, I've had thoughts. I've had temptations. But I go right back to that dream of God saved me right there. Right at that moment. <laughs> and the, so my, my message is that if he can do that for me, he'll do it for anyone. There were mountains and mountains of guilt and shame on me. Mountains. And that little mustard seed. I had belief. All my whole life belief. But I just, that trust and that, that defiancy and pride. I wouldn't, I wouldn't surrender. I just, I wouldn't surrender. I tried so many ways to fill that hole that I had in me except with God. And he revealed himself to me. He said, he, he did it. I know he just said, son, he's ready. Go get him. And I was ready. <laughs> I just thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. All I can say. And you read it. The song said it. I didn't deserve it, but I receive it now, and I, I want to give it away. Uh, I can sit here for in just six months of time. The blessings I've received are inc uh, incredible. And my worst days today are better than any of the, the best days I had then. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm not doing that right. but My worst days are better than my best days then. I hope I said that right. And uh, I'm just so grateful that uh, I was chosen, and, and that's I just all I want to do now is just to carry that message, let everyone and anyone know, no matter what has happened to you, there's hope for you. And, and I was going to say thank you for them prayers, and I know it was really them prayers of them righteous people and I love to pray now. I, I pray a lot, so I love it. Uh, and I don't really pray for myself as much anymore. If I do, I guess it's for to, to help someone else. And I want to please God and help others. That is my goal. Because I used to, I, all I did my whole life was take. And now it's time to give back. And, and God, has, God has given me a free gift. And I receive it now. And I have to give it away if I want to keep it. And I, thank you. Uh, th that's all for now, and I'll share any more any with anyone at any time. But that's all for now. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Randy, how long have you been sober? Six months. Six months, as old as the church. A lot of drunks in this county. But there's one less right now. And here's why. Here's what I want you to get. We're going to wrap this up in just a minute. Like Jay said, small things. Connie throws the keys to Jay because Jay said, here I am, send me. And because of that, Randy is here saying, Jesus has set me free. That's the way it works. One last story and then we're going to pray. This is my story. Here we go. 
We met up at Uori Point one time, my family and I, to celebrate my dad's birthday. And we're sitting there at the table. We're eating just a regular old night. And I get up with my uncle, and we go walking out. He's going to get some water. I'm going to the bathroom. It's as much as we'll go into detail about that. And when I'm coming back, our waiter walks up to me. And so my uncle's here. My waiter's he's here, and I'm over here. We're just walking down. And I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but sometimes I just don't want to be the preacher. I just want to be a guy. And that was one of those nights. And we're walking down, and the waiter says, um, hey, uh, do you guys, like, know anybody that can marry people? And I'm just, like, I don't want to say anything. But my uncle is a Methodist minister. And my uncle goes, funny you would say that because, like, you're talking to a guy right there that can. I was like, oh, God, busted by my uncle. What's up with that, you know? And so my waiter looks at me. He says, I knew that you were. And now he's got my attention, right? So I'm thinking, I didn't pray over the meal. I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, you knew that I was. He said, yeah, I knew that you were. When I walked in to start waiting on you, I just knew it. It's like there's this light behind your head. <laughs> really? Wow. He said, I've been talking to the man upstairs about, like, you know, I've got this girl that I want to marry, and I don't really know anybody that can marry people. And I just, this past weekend, I was talking to the man upstairs, and I just said, I just need somebody that can marry me. And I know that he told me, just wait, I'm going to send somebody to you. And he said, I knew when I started waiting on you that you're the guy. And I went, oh, well, I can marry people. So we start talking about, like, the wedding. I don't even know this guy, you know, at all. And we're talking about the wedding, and we're, I'm meeting him here, and I'm meeting his, his fiance, and they start telling me how they want to have a Jewish wedding in Virginia. I'm like, I said, are you, like, are you from Virginia? No, we both live here. Are you Jewish? No, we just think it'd be cool. <laughs> so, so we're going to leave here, drive to Virginia, all your family's coming to Virginia, and we're going to do a Jewish wedding, but you're not Jewish. Did I get all that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Awesome. So we're, we're in, you know, and we're doing the premarital counseling and all this stuff. And when it's finally time to go to the wedding, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in this position, but I am saying to God, why? I don't get it. I mean, I like him. I like her, but I'm busy. I don't want to go to Virginia. Why? We go up to Virginia. Mean, so the whole time we're driving to Virginia, I mean, Winnie and I are talking in the car. Obviously, there's somebody at this wedding that we're supposed to meet. I don't know who they are. I mean, besides the, you know, the man and wife. But there's somebody we don't know. We're going to meet them or on the way we're going to meet them. So we go on that weekend. I mean, our antennas are up, right? Because we're going to meet some stranger and their life is going to be transformed. We drive up there. Nobody. I mean, there's people there because it's a wedding. But nobody that we... Yeah, like we saw people that we knew because we all came from here to Virginia. <laughs> hey, I think I passed y'all on the interstate, you know. Um, we go up there, we do the wedding, very uneventful. It's a beautiful ceremony. We come back, and we're just kind of like, all right, that was cool. I mean, I got to have a halo. <laughs> it's awesome. A few weeks later, I get a message on Facebook from somebody, that, and it, it basically goes like this. You don't know me, but somebody told me to get in touch with you because I need Christian men in my life that can support me and help me. And I just, I just need, and, and you know, we have a kind of a mutual friend. And he said the friend's name, and I immediately remembered who that was. So the mutual friend was the best man 
at the Jewish wedding for the non-Jewish couple. <laughs> he also lives here, but had to drive there. And it suddenly dawned on me, oh, God, I went to Virginia to do a Jewish wedding for a non-Jewish couple so I could be around the best man who knows me so that he could tell his friend to get in touch with me. Of course! <laughs> and the reason why I want you to understand how important this is is because this, hey, Doug, there he is, that's Doug, and he and I met on Facebook because he knew the best man at the non-Jewish couple's <laughs> wedding. Great guy, and that's a great story just, just like that, isn't it, Doug? It's pretty cool, but, um, <laughs> but raise your hand if you came with Doug today. <laughs> right, yeah, see, yeah, there you go. Because <laughs> one of the things that I have in my heart is to do something in this county for, for young people. I mean, for, like, and specifically people that skateboard, which is crazy, because look at me. Like, I'm white, middle-aged. If I could on a skateboard, I would die. So I just can't whip out a skateboard and go out in the street and go, hey, let's hang together. I'm like, no. I'll get air. You need air, <laughs> right? You know, that's what they're thinking. Like, give the dude some oxygen. I just, I don't. I don't skate at all. And so I'm always saying, God, why would you call us to do anything like that when look at me, God. But Doug skateboards. And he's cool. He looks like he skates. And he's got friends who skate that know he skates. And they're like, we like to skate with Doug. They're not going, we want to skate with that old guy. <laughs> and you just start thinking, man, God, do you really do stuff like that? Do you really write stories that take us all over the place to accomplish something that couldn't have done any, you couldn't have done any other way? And if he had done it some other way, like if the story had been this, I walked into a coffee shop and met a guy named Doug. That's boring, isn't it? But, like, I went to a, a wedding in Virginia that was, is for a non-Jewish couple. It was a Jewish wedding. I did it, and I met, like, this best man who knows. That's a great story. And the best stories are the ones that you want to tell over and over and over again. We'll get to hear Randy's story again, but next time it'll go like this. I've been sober for a year. I've been sober for two years. And someday he'll go, ten years ago, I took my last drink. The best stories are the ones that you tell over and over and over and over again. And the reason that you can tell them over and over again is because people don't get tired of hearing them. You know why? Because they're not about you. I mean, if I got up and told you stories about how great I am, at some point you would go, shut up. <laughs> but when I tell you the story about how Jesus did something amazing through me for other people, you will find yourself sitting around dinner and your kids will look at you and say, Dad, tell that story again. And you'll say, God, I've told that story a million times. I know, it's so good. Tell it again. Because it gives grace to others and brings glory to God. That's what testimonies do.